o'clock. Appreciate you joining us, Jim and the Buckeye Boy. Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network, 101. 1 FM, 1340 AM here in the Valley, along Highway 50, 102.1 FM, and online all the time at theteam1340.com. Got a smart speaker, ask to play 1340 the team. We'll have Mav Day coming up later on, 9 o'clock hour with Mike DeGeorge, Taylor Wagner, and CMU men's wrestling coach Mike Mendoza. So a little Maverick basketball and Maverick men's wrestling coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Also, Chassa Commissioner Mike Kruger is going to join us. Mike got uh, tied up with an emergency yesterday. Had some fires to put out. And uh, unfortunately, could not join us yesterday. We will talk with him coming up at uh, 8.40 this morning here in just a little bit. Also, our Broncos report with Cody Work heading your way in just a few minutes as well. So, uh, Deion Sanders yesterday said that, yeah, most likely, Pat Shermer's going to be back as the Buffalo's offensive coordinator. These kind of decisions make you question oh no 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 i think it should he values guys with nfl experience and he's had a like like zimmer's an analyst on the team this year Warren sap's going to join the team as a coach next year this next season i mean there's certainly he you can tell that's where his where his mm-hmm. where his comfort level is guys that have coached in the NFL. But it's th- intriguing that you didn't say had success in the NFL. Just coached, coached. in the NFL. I'm just talking about coached. Mike Zimmer or had who's some next? Good, Chris Palmer. <laughs> Mike Zimmer had some some good years in Minnesota as their head coach, mm-hmm. but obviously not good enough to stick around. Freddie Kitchens, Rob Chudzinski. Any other failed Browns head coaches he wants to bring in? A couple of the assistants that they didn't want to continue to give the head coaching job to is are having success, namely Nick Saban, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, Bill Belichick. Well, Belichick might be available. <laughs> the, the way things are going mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that's entirely possible. But, like, just because they coached in the NFL doesn't mean they were particularly good at it. Right, and then that's where but that he seems to value that that experience, coaching in the NFL. Hugh Jackson, oh, oh. that one's real. <laughs> now, like, if he brings in Byron Leftwich. Mike Pettin. Okay, I, I'm, I'm down with Byron Leftwich. Good When's offensive Eric mind. Mangini's interview? <laughs> I believe it's next Tuesday. Yeah, I Ryan Robisky, maybe? Well, Ron Rivera might be looking for a gig. Romeo Cornell. Yeah, Charlie Weiss. Where are these guys at? Actually, they had success. They're not on the list. Yeah, some of those guys actually Mm -hmm. accomplished something. Like Ron Rivera actually accomplished something. So uh, when when you hear this, when you hear him say, yeah, probably, part of me goes, dude, play that a little closer to the vest, okay? I mean, maybe if you're looking at other people. Maybe you're trying to throw them off. I don't know. Or that shouldn't be your answer. That shouldn't be your response. Maybe, maybe I think he's being honest because that's who he tends to be. I think mm-hmm. he tends to be very straightforward. My hope is that he doesn't give a hill of beans about the feelings of Pat Shermer. If he finds somebody he thinks who can be better, that he'll bring them in. And that it's kind of, yeah, he's the guy right at the moment because Sean Lewis left to become San Diego State's head coach. It's quite and, and and we don't need to go rehash the whole thing how he screwed that up massively with Sean Lewis. 
My hope is it's more, yeah, he's the guy for the moment. I'm hoping this is not some permanent, this is, I feel comfortable with Pat. Pat knows what he's doing. Look what, look what he did in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Look what he did in Philadelphia as their offensive coordinator. He can do that here because that's the trap that the Broncos fell into and others have fallen into with Pat Shermer. He must be a great interview. He must. He must be fantastic. Like, he wins. The, he has to win the interview. Because he is just a dumpster fire more often than not as an actual strategist, if that's a word. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. You I'm know, okay like, that. I don't know how many times we have to go over the Pat Shermer numbers that Three times in 13 years, he's had a good offense. More times than that, he's had an average offense. And, and in Denver, they were seven terrible. Seven or eight times, they, he has had a below average to just downright need to old yeller his career offense. And he's not Wade Phillips. He's not a guy because he's been a head coach in Cleveland. He's been a head coach in New mm-hmm. York. He's not, one, not like a Wade Phillips where... He's really good at his side of the football. He may not be a great head coach. May not be the the kind of guy that's that's good at at, at overseeing an entire operation. Mm-hmm. But Wade was gr- a great defensive coordinator. Denver won Super Bowl Fifty because of what Wade Phillips did with that defense. No doubt about that. Yeah. But he was not a good head coach in in any of the stops that he had. And yeah. and and Pat Shermer doesn't even doesn't have Wade's resume to hang a hat on and Wade was so good Wade got so many opportunities as a head coach because Mm -hmm. he was so good as a defensive coordinator I'm less willing to give Pat Shermer the credit for the Philadelphia offense because that was Chip Kelly's offense like Chip Kelly was calling the plays there and he was just they were lightning bolts involved in it kind of kind of like Joe Lombardi Mm -hmm. in Denver right now he was involved He's involved and he's part of the, the the process. Yeah, but it's not like he is the guy that put the the architect of the offense. So if Eric Bieniemy, yep, Eric Bieniemy, same deal when he was in Kansas City. Although their offense is struggling this year, and I don't think people yeah. are really correlating the two that Eric Bieniemy is no longer there. Anyway. I think I think he had he had a positive impact on their yes. offense, probably more of a positive impact more than, than Pat Shermer for. Yeah, more than Pat Shermer probably had with Chip Kelly because. We look at the one offense we know for a fact that as the coordinator Pat Shermer had under his care that was any sort of average or better was the 2017 Minnesota Vikings. They were 10th in scoring, 11th in yards. Outside of that, his run under Chip Kelly was good, but those are Chip Kelly's offenses. His run as his own offensive coordinator and head coach as an offensive guy, last, 26th, 30th. 23rd, 23rd, 16th, 18th, 28th, 23rd. It's awful. He's Vance Joseph. He's an offensive Vance Joseph and offensive Vance Joseph. Because watching his offense is offensive. At least right now, the Bronco defense, while it didn't play great Sunday. I am offended having it, to watch him coach yeah, offense. Uh, at, least, at least Denver, after the disaster 70-point beat down by the Dolphins they have they, they went on a five game winning streak the defense mm-hmm. for 16 turnovers during that stretch 
give him credit for right. getting that turned around. He deserved that, that the, the credit for getting it turned around. Mm-hmm. Pat Shermer can't really say that. And, and now, if you're Tion, do you trust Pat Shermer with your, with your son? He must. He must. I wouldn't. He's my quarterback. I'm like, nah, we, we, we've got, there's got to be a better guy out there. There's got to be a better guy. And, and Dion talked about, was referenced last hour, hitting the transfer portal, trying to find quarterbacks. Though the Staub kid played well in that Utah game, replacing Shadur Sanders, but looking for a transfer portal quarterback. I don't know necessarily if somebody's going to be the, the bridge. Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord's going to want to be a starter, though. If Shadur's back, that's that's not happening. And any whether he's the coach's kid or not, mm-hmm. Shadur, Shadur would be the starting quarterback. But the way his dad has built the team and delegates the offensive coaching, Shadur's not going to be starting all you know, 12 games. You mentioned McCord in the transfer portal. I thought interesting Dylan Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma hitting the transfer portal. Yeah. Did yeah. you see the Alabama backup quarterback is hitting the transfer portal to go play lacrosse somewhere else? Really? Yeah. I, did, I did not catch that. Hmm. He played high school lacrosse. I don't remember his name. Butcher, Booker, whatever. Buker, whatever. But, yeah. it's going to go play lacrosse. He's huh? going to go play lacrosse. All right. A couple of texts to get to. Uh, let's see. Got one. This Throw this in from the microwave from yesterday. From Kyle, CFP moved the goalpost to allow the SEC in. Yeah. That, you, it's hard to refute that. Yeah. It, it feels that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Let's see. We brought up going to 16 teams for the playoffs. 16 would add up to four extra games for the teams that make the championship game. Would you think college football reduced the number of regular season games because adding up to four extra is a lot? Maybe, but with the super conferences now, I don't know how they would get that to work with the TV partners. Because your champion now is going to have to play 15 games. You're essentially at an NFL season. I know there's two extra games, but you're, right. you're at an NFL you're, season you're, you're two, now. two away from that. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. add 16 teams. You're right. That adds two more games down to eight, down to four. So, yeah, you're at an NFL-length season for the college kids, some of whom, like the quarterback at Florida State, were high schoolers last year playing that's, 10 games. And that's a lot. That's a lot. As, as the text referenced, would they down the road look at reducing regular season games if they get a TV partner willing or whoever, if it's ESPN? Mm-hmm. Hey, we we've got to have this much more money to offset. Yeah, offset the loss of regular season games. At some point, I think the and they're not going to do it because it makes too much sense. The best way to go about it would be to go back to Major League Baseball 1997 and make divisions for your conferences, and don't get outside your division until the conference championship game. That would make sense. You play a non-conference schedule, sure, that's two or three games. You have eight teams in your division. You play all other of the seven teams. You play, say, ten games. Then you go into the conference championship game of the playoffs. And there you go. Don't play cross-division games. Just play 
three non-conference solely your people division. will will scream about what about the rivalries? What if you have to split mm-hmm. up rivals? That kind of thing. That's gonna. That's well, you're gonna, gonna have come. to figure that part out. Yeah, you're gonna have to be okay with that at yeah. some point. That you can't. If you, if you want to add to the playoffs, you're gonna have to find. You're, there's gonna have to be concessions made. Right. And, and if you have 16, 18, 20 team conferences, you should be able to have an even number of division teams in a division. And you can figure out your rivalries and find a way to keep them. But it's kind of interesting right now. That's not the trend. The trend is to get away from divisions. The trend is to get away from divisions and rivalries. Look at the Pac-12. Oregon, Washington, those in-state rivalries are dead for now. So it'd be nice if some sanity does come back to this at some point Mm -hmm. where let's let's bring back divisions and and that that allows the opportunity to have a 16-team college football playoff. 20 years down the road, Carolina goes 1-16. Welcome to the SEC. Alabama goes undefeated. Mm. National championship, you're in the NFC South. <laughs> Promotion <laughs> and relegation, baby. Yeah, I don't see that happening, but that'd be that'd be fun. Chaos is didn't fun. didn't see the Pac-12 going away a year ago, did we? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think we're going to uh, see that. Kind. We're not getting... Yeah, that's, that's a bridge too far, man. As soon yeah, they, as all the old minds that are... That's too European. As soon as they go away, then I can't see happen. the NFL ever... Having any kind of thing like that, if it's worth the billion dollars, well, the I should say, never say never. Mm-hmm. Just, just show me, yeah, show me the figure, show me what the number is going to be. Uh, Bird Dog says more the merrier. Look at the NCAA men's basketball tournament, but but you got to structure it the right way, and yeah, that, that's a different. There's also 133 football teams. There's like nine million basketball teams. Yes. Uh, let's see. And Die Hard has one. Expand the playoffs to 16 teams and do away with conference championship games. Play the first two rounds. The week the championship games will be played, higher-ranked teams get to play at home. Play the next round the week after. That gets down to four teams. Play those games at a neutral site. Every team gets uh, beat in the, the first two rounds can still go to a bowl game in late December. And each power conference for now would be in charge of putting together a criteria for naming a conference champ. Best conference record, head-to-head, tiebreaker, best overall. As second tiebreaker, et cetera, gets an automatic bid that leaves 12 at-large bids. Every team that appeared in a conference championship game would still get in the 16-team field. So, I, yeah, so there's, yeah, I like what he's... I'm on board with everything other than leaving the conferences to their own devices to set up who gets in. You need some level of uniformity if you want to prevent X team from getting screwed like well theirs is how many little sisters you can be in your non-conferences that's their criteria for the sec champion there has, there has to be a, a right. overriding this is this but is the, the entire champion they yeah. play rivals you know so those conferences need to sit down right and create here's what our criteria is for everybody mm-hmm. this isn't just for the sec or the big 10 it's yeah you're right how many home money games did we win? Three conference champs, baby. Conference champs. It eliminates like Auburn, but you know. <laughs> All right, it's time to go around the NFL. The latest on the Broncos and the league. It's around the NFL on the Jim Davis Show. All right, so uh, Sean Payton, also PJ Locke, uh, I believe Lloyd Cushenberry the third spoke to the media yesterday after the Broncos lost to the Texans. <sighs> Broncos. In their 10 third quarter opening drives. This this continues to be a problem the second half. Mm-hmm. When they 
when they defer, get the ball in the second half. Eight punts, two missed field goals. They have not scored in 10 third-quarter opening drives. Dang. That's, That's not brutal. getting out of the break fast. That is brutal. And also you couple that, because that was a problem again this weekend in Houston, mm. but also the Broncos 0 for 11 on third down in that game. Sean Payton talked about why there were problems on third down. No, it's, it's not good enough. Obviously, it's frustrating. You know, it's, it's a combination of a handful of things. Protection, guys open, us not making a play. Um, but but I felt like the, the, the yardage, uh, the distances were were what we wanted. Um, and yet, you know, we've got to be better in that area. Our, our third down plan, obviously, has got to be cleaner. Um, but it, it wasn't a game where so many of them were third and long. All right, so Sean Payton talking about uh, the, the third down conversion issues where pleased that they, on first down, they, they, made, they turned it into manageable third downs, mm-hmm. just didn't get it done against the Texans on Sunday. And for Sean Payton, feels like that uh, this is a football team that, you know, after starting out one and five, mood's a little bit different. You disappointed lost to the Texans. You lose 22-17, a game that you probably should have won, didn't play your best football. And not hitting the panic button, it, it feels different. Yeah, they, they were on a five-game winning streak, league best five-game winning streak prior to the loss on Sunday against the Texans. Here's Sean Payton. That also some of the problems they got to fix leading up to the Chargers game on Sunday. I think they all think the losses do they feel that way they're just disappointing i think what i said to the team a little bit earlier was um you know, you're going to play 17 games and, and man are you going to be gunpowder ready for each one of those I, i'm not so sure that you are and yet yesterday's the game despite how poorly we started um you're going to be frustrated when you watch the tape and you see the multiple opportunities we have um but we let a guy run free you know, early in the game on a punt rush. Uh, defensively, we're off the field in a gold, you know, in a red zone situation. We let a rookie bait us into a personal foul. That's four points. Um, instead of finishing that game, needing a touchdown, we're kicking a field goal to win. Um, offensively, we talked about it the communication. Um, the communication needs, it has to improve, especially on the road. Too many snaps where guys aren't ready or we didn't get the shift or we didn't get the call and that that's uh that's troubling especially this time of the year all right sean payton talking about cleaning up some things leading up to the chargers game pj lock uh, had a solid game for the broncos that safety spot next to justin simmons and and lock talks about what they that they've got to get better in some areas particularly the, look the run they were great sunday against houston Held him under 100 yards rushing. But Nico Collins just killed him. 191 yards and a touchdown. He realizes that the, the secondary's got to tighten thing, some things up when they uh, take on Justin Herbert and a uh, and Keenan Allen in that uh, really good uh, Chargers passing attack coming up on Sunday at SoFi. Uh, man, I guess, you know, just going through that type of adversity at the beginning of the season, you've been through it, you know how I felt, you know the type, type of mentality you got to have to get out of that situation, get out of that hole. And um, you know we show fight in the game, and honestly, man, I'm 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 really not I'm not I'm really not worried. I, obviously, I'm disappointed that we lost. Um, you know, we ended the streak that we had, but I'm not I'm not worried by any means. Just because, like I said, we as bad as we played, and it still came down to game winning drive. 
man, that's, that's that's amazing. You know, in those type of games when you, you know, minus three and takeaways, and, you know, those type of things is, you know, most of the time you're getting, you're getting beat down. And just for it to come down to game winning drive, man, and, you know, we're, we were, you know, eight yards away from winning the game. That's that's huge, and you know the, all the things that we see on film, man, it's, it's correctable. And so I'm like I said, I'm not worried, man. I, I feel like we we're heading in the right direction, and you know we get those things fixed up, we, we'll be just fine. All right, that's PJ Locke of the Broncos, six and six Denver, at five and seven LA, taking on the Chargers this Sunday on the Team Sports Network. Countdown to kickoff at noon, two twenty-five kickoff from SoFi, the Broncos and the Chargers. We had Monday Night Football last night as the Cincinnati Bengals have kept themselves in playoff consideration with a 34-31 victory over Jacksonville last night, taking down the Jags. Cincinnati moves to 6-6. Six and six. Jags fall to 0-4 after the overtime loss last night. But uh, really the, the story of the game wasn't so much the win by Cincinnati, but it was the injury to Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence last night. Uh, Trevor Lawrence going down with an ankle injury. The ball is at the 23. They didn't do him a favorite all with the spot five wide in the gun Lawrence 23 is Cincinnati looks at six in the secondary of the shotgun snap he throws a line drive he wants to at least he brings it back he's hit on the play it's loose the Bengals say it is loose they're diving for the ball Lawrence pump fake the pass was hit hard on the play the oh and he's getting up and limping and goes to all fours Trevor Lawrence is down. He knows something isn't right. He pounds the grass. He takes off his helmet, and this is not good. Kevin Harlan on Westwood One and on the team last night as Lawrence goes down with the ankle injury, had to be helped off the field. Here's Doug Peterson, Jags coach, talking about Lawrence and, and the injuries. They lost their left tackle. They, they lost uh, another lineman. It was a, a rash of injuries last night along with uh, the Trevor Lawrence injury. I don't have any information yet on Trevor. We're still evaluating him, you know, so he'll have more. Um, you know, um, tests and things done here tonight and tomorrow. So I'll probably have a better update for you tomorrow on that. But I mean, yeah, we had position players go down. You know, but look, that's it's part of the game. You know, it, it happens, and and um, it's unfortunate. But you know, next guy up has to has to be ready to go and play. And um, you know, I thought the guys, the guys that filled in, you know, were 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 just that. They were ready to go. All right, that's Doug Peterson, Jacksonville head coach. So uh, Cincinnati with uh, Jake Browning, the former Washington Husky quarterback, uh, getting the start, of course, with the injury, the wrist injury to Joe Burrow. Jake Browning was really good. 354 and found Jamar Chase for a long touchdown to lead the Bengals to the overtime win. Bengals in all white, white helmets, white jerseys, white pants. Black stripes on those helmets, moving from right to left. It's third down and two. Here's the shotgun snap and an arching spiral pass. It's caught over the shoulder. 50 by Chase. He's gone. The 40 down the near sideline. 30. Foot race to the 20. The 10. The 5. Touchdown. 76-yard touchdown pass by Cincinnati. Once again, Kevin Harlan, Westwood 1, the Team Sports Network. Browning's I mentioned 354 and a touchdown pass. He also had a touchdown run. Joe Mixon with a couple of touchdown runs for the Bengals last night. Jamar Chase. Fantastic game, 11 catches, 149 yards, and a touchdown. Trevor Lawrence before the injury, 258, and a couple of touchdown passes. Evan Ingram catching one of those touchdown passes. Once again, uh, the Bengals improved to 6-6 six and six, right there with the Broncos uh, and Buffalo for that. Uh, just out on the outside looking in for the uh, AFC playoffs, Jacksonville is 8-4. and four.
after uh, the loss last night. All right, coming up, our Broncos report with Cody York. And uh, joining us right now in studio to talk about Colorado Gives Day, we have Joy Thompson with us with uh, Grand Valley Gives. Joy, appreciate you coming in today. Thanks for having me. So Grand Valley Gives, Colorado Gives Day, uh, that, that is today. And so take us through how people can donate and help out local charities here in the Grand Valley, local nonprofits. Sure. So grandvalleygives.org is the website that hosts all of the participating local nonprofits uh, in Colorado Gives Day this year. And there's nearly 50 of them. And so locally, we're talking about uh, the Eureka McConnell Science Museum, Foster Alumni Mentors, Colorado Discoverability, Western Slope Center for Children, so many local organizations where Colorado Gives Day is great because it it does help a lot of organizations across the state. But if you want to give right here at home where it's going to have an impact on you and your friends and family, uh, Grand Valley Gives, that's, uh, that's the way to go. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget there's so many small nonprofits in our community doing such vital work, and grandvalleygives.org is the website to go to see all of those. A couple of uh, new ones maybe that have uh, started nonprofits that are on uh, the Grand Valley Gives list? So Foster Alumni Mentors is is relatively new. Um, Yeah, there's a few new ones this year. Uh, There's always more organizations coming on each year, but uh, it's it's a wonderful platform uh, to give where you live, like you said. Joy Thompson with us with uh, Grand Valley Gives. That is today, by the way. So Take us through, uh, first off, the goal for this year and how people can make a donation. Sure. So the goal for the participating nonprofits for Grand Valley Gives this year is 350000 and I think we're going to blow that out of the water. Uh, you know, if you go on grandvalleygives.org, you'll see a link to each participating organization's profile. You can go on their profile, learn all about them. You can see financial information, so you can really make a good decision about where your, your dollars go. And once again, people need to go to grandvalleygives.org. And that is today, by the way. So it ends midnight tonight? It ends at midnight, yep. All right, so make sure you help out those local nonprofits today. Uh, grandvalleygives.org. Go there today. Make a donation on uh, Cutterbrook Gives Day, Grand Valley Gives Day today here on the Western Slope. Joy, appreciate the time, and thank you for the, the wonderful work that your organization does in helping local nonprofits. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Our Broncos Report with Cody Work brought to you by Modern Classic Motors and Gallagher's Flooring. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Talking Broncos with Mile High Sports' Cody Rourke on the Jim Davis Show. You can read his Broncos coverage at milehighsports.com or watch the Lockdown Broncos podcast. Cody Rourke joins us. He's our Broncos insider. Good morning, Cody. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. I just saw that... uh, Shaq Leonard, uh, one-time Colts linebacker, a guy that there was maybe some slight interest in on the Broncos' standpoint, signing with Philadelphia today. So, uh, But it didn't seem like that interest was real strong in Shaq Leonard, or, or was it stronger than we're being led to believe? No, Denver, I mean, Denver, obviously, they were looking at it, but they, I mean, financially, no, they, they weren't able to afford it, especially if they were going to try to put a claimant off waivers. That's why he didn't go claimed off of waivers. Uh, and obviously, for him allowing to clear the waiver process, teams that were interested could look at signing him. But Denver wasn't seriously interested in him at that juncture. I mean, obviously, they're very focused on Josie Jewell, Alex Singleton. Part of the issues with Shaq Leonard is the concerns about his injury history. And he's been banged up over the course of the last three seasons, hasn't played a lot of football. And, you know, when healthy, he's a dang good football player. But the Broncos felt like they were in a pretty good position right now, and it didn't make sense to bring in a guy that probably isn't going to play much at, at this juncture um, especially for where Denver's at right now defensively. Broncos coming off the loss at Houston. 
where um, the offensive line, at least from a pass protection standpoint, looked like it took some steps back. Will Anderson, the rookie, had a great game. Uh, Broncos gave up three sacks. Didn't run the ball as well as they have during the five-game winning streak. It, it, it felt like from that standpoint, Cody, a little bit of a, a setback by that offensive line. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a surprise there to see. You know, they did well against Cleveland, and then they couldn't figure out a way to, to mitigate the rush there from uh, the Houston Texans. That factored into a lot of things. I think it slowed down Russell Wilson's clock a little bit. Actually, sped it up a little bit. You know, there were times where he escaped the pocket that was clean. Um, and, and, you know, there were some missed opportunities that Sean Payton had alluded to when we talked to him yesterday on a conference call. But uh, just disappointing, Jim. I mean, I, overall, the offense, I mean, this is the thing is, Look, the five-game win streak, they haven't been perfect, right? But they've, they've made some good ground. They've been efficient. They've been clean with the football. Uh, but the issue that we saw here on Sunday, they opened up the game four straight punts. Their first two possessions coming out of halftime, two straight punts. And then they had three turnovers. And they still had a chance to win. So, Jim, here's what I gather from that. Look, Denver's offense hasn't played their best football. That's, that's a promising sign. But it's also concerning because you're getting at a crucial point of the season now where you have to play your best football because if you want to make the playoffs, your room for error has become marginally thinner, especially after losing to the Texans on Sunday. One of the things that, that Sean Payton talked about, Cody, in that, that conference call was Denver's inability on third down, 0 for 11 on third down. But one of the things that I, I thought was interesting Sean talked about was he felt like they were better on first down, the early downs, where there, there really were more manageable third down opportunities. They just didn't, didn't take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, they had third and shorts, and I was surprised that they couldn't get it. And look, Jim, I think another issue that we got to talk about here is, I mean, Denver's obviously, they're, they're making most of their hay in the run game on the inside, right, in the A and the B gaps, but they're struggling to get to the outside. They're, I mean, that's where it kind of makes Denver's offense a little bit one-dimensional because their passing game is either to the flats, it's short, or it's a deep explosive play, but there really is no existing intermediate passing game. And in the run game, it's inside runs. And the outside running game is not effective. So that is a huge concern for me with this offense going forward. I, I don't know what they can do to rectify it, but they haven't figured it out. And, you know, that you're running up against the clock here. You're going to play Khalil Mack, who's having a terrific season, you know, for the Chargers this year, as bad as the Chargers have been. Obviously, for them coming off a 6 nothing win, which is a weird score in the NFL, but... Um, you don't you don't have time to, to to figure out okay hey how do we get there like I, I don't know what it is I don't know if the offensive scheme is too complex or if that Denver doesn't have the personnel to execute these things consistently enough it's got to be something in between there I'm going to ask you this question we had a texter Steve that asked us this about Jaleel McLaughlin are they using him the right way it's hard to answer that because of Samaje and what he's been able yeah. to do and obviously Javante being healthy. But, like, Jalil, anytime Jalil's in the game, the ball's going to him. So it kind of it kind of gives this inclination, okay, hey, number 38's in the game. All right, it's either going to be an outside run or they're going to throw it to him. And defenses are picking up on that. At least that's just my overall my interpretation of what I'm seeing there. And, look, it's tough. You're asking a guy, like, you're putting him in situations where – Okay, if it's a passing situation, you need him to pass pro. That's not his strength. He's not he's not big enough to be able to do that against NFL linebackers. So it does kind of make it, okay, hey, third down, this guy's in. Okay, it's a passing play. We already know that. It's going to go to him or he's going to run an outlet route there. But Denver's going to have to find a way, I think, to be a little more diverse in this situation. I think is probably the more polished route runner right now in terms of the running backs out of the backfield, which makes it – easy to see why he's getting a lot more of those reps here going forward. I, I don't know how they can 
get back to using Jalil how they did earlier because he is a special player, and I think they can find ways, especially in the inside run game, to, to kind of get things going there. I just I don't know what's going on. He has not had the same type of success he had a little bit early on in the season, and that has been a little bit of a concern here. Cody Rourke with us, My Life Sports Locked on Broncos podcast, our Broncos insider with us on the Team Sports Network. Nico Collins had a monster game, 191 yards and a touchdown. What went wrong in regard to, to covering Collins? I mean, everything, Jim. I, I have no idea. It was it was very interesting to me. You know, Fabian Moreau's been playing some good football for Denver. Um, you know, we saw that big explosive play down the left sideline really early on in this game, and Denver just had no answer for him. And obviously when Sertan went down for a little bit, that was a little bit of a concern overall. Um, but then, you know, just once again, he, he found soft spots in zone coverage for explosive plays. He caught the Broncos in cloud coverage on the right side and got a big explosive play down the field. And then obviously the wide open touchdown in the fourth quarter, that obviously hurt Denver. If they were able to mitigate that, then, you know, Denver probably would have won that game. But uh, I just think that he, he's a terrific receiver. He's long. He's fast. I mean, he's very fast from what we were able to see. But I think he and C.J. Stroud have really good connection. There was a time where I thought Moreau had really good coverage on him. You were hoping that pressure was going to get to Stroud. Uh, Collins made a great move that, you know, Moreau thought he was going to sit and kind of got in the hip. He hesitated for a second, and then he just kept running, and so he was wide open for a big play there. It was a disappointing performance for Denver's defense in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I, I have no idea. I, was, I, I mean, the fact he had nine catches for a buck 91, Jim, that's crazy. It is crazy. The Broncos haven't allowed a performance like that so far this season, even though they got blasted by 50 points by the Dolphins. They still don't allow a receiver to go crazy like that against them. So that was uh, that was a little bit of a concern, and obviously it's something worth monitoring, especially as the Broncos gear up to face Keenan Allen this week. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Cody Rourke with us on the Team Sports Network. Uh, your takeaway on the Alex Singleton play on the, on the fourth and goal, which that, that came back to really hurt the Broncos. Oh, I think that, honestly, when you look back at this game, the outcome of it, you could probably say that was maybe the difference in this game. And, look, the thing that I, you know, want to pinpoint here, I for Alex Singleton, I, I felt like maybe that should have just been an offsetting penalty on Stroud and Singleton. Um, you know, the, the NFL is what the NFL is. They're always going to protect quarterbacks. But I felt it kind of interesting that, you know, on that play, Stroud comes up and digs his helmet, kind of headbutts Singleton with his helmet. You know, we, we see a helmet-to-helmet initiation contact there. So Singleton shoves him and gets flagged. There, to me, I don't, I don't agree with that. Look, obviously you got to be smarter in that situation. You can't do that, especially because it's fourth, fourth and six, and there was a false start. It was a dead ball penalty. Um, yeah, it's just tough position to be in. And obviously they go on to score. Damian Pierce three yards out, and that was the, really the second, the first touchdown of the game, and their second only of the game. You take away that play there, and maybe hold them to a field goal. Denver might win this game. So uh, it's rough looking back on, but you know, like I said, I, I just don't agree with kind of how. You know, it was all one-sided favoring the quarterback when the quarterback was also part of the the whole scrum to begin with. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. All right, so I catch uh, Cody's report at 420 today here on the Team Sports Network, and we'll talk you uh, talk with you Thursday, Cody, about uh, the Broncos and the Chargers. Always appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, Jim. Have a good one. Go Tigers. All right, Cody Rourke, My Life Sports, Locked On Broncos podcast. Mike Kruger, Chassa Commissioner, coming up in just a moment. But uh, right now, time to play Triple Play Records Stadium Cinema. 
Know your sports TV shows and movies? Let's play Stadium Cinema on the team. Yes, up for grabs today is the downtown double play with Triple Play. $20 gift certificate to our friends at Triple Play Records, vinyl, disc golf, all sorts of other little goodies and tidbits uh, down there. I was running late last week. I wanted to get in line for the show. I didn't get a chance to stop in and talk to Rocker Matt. But you can do that when you win your uh, gift certificate to Triple Play Records. Or some holiday win, shopping down there. Go spend your own money down there. You know, it's there's nothing wrong with that. Do some holiday shopping. And yeah, a small, sure. And a pasta salad, courtesy of our friends at Junction Square Pizza, up for grabs there as well. First on the text line. We take these on the text line only, 970-242-1340. If you've won any time in the last two weeks, sit it out. If for some unknown, odd, wonky reason you don't want the prize, don't play. But... You should want the prize because it's awesome. We just talked about that. First, to identify this show, not a sports show, but a sports scene in said show. We are all on the same team here. Of course, if you beat us, you're fired. All right, first correct answer wins today. Show not known for sports, by the way. No. First correct answer wins. Chick-fil-A breakfast team phone line. Text in your answer, 970-242-1340. Good morning, gentlemen. What are the haps? The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. All right, welcome back. Jim along with the Buckeye boy and with us right now. He's the commissioner of the Colorado High School Activities Association, Mike Kruger. Mike, I appreciate the time as always. How are you? Well, Jim, Rio, it's so good to speak. You guys know I always love coming on and, uh, and getting a chance to talk with you. So thanks for having me, and I'm so sorry I missed you yesterday. Well, you had uh, you had some fires to put out, it sounds like. You had, of course, the, the trip to yeah. conference you went to out in San Francisco, then you got back to, to go to the, the, the games, the state championship <laughs> games over Canvas. So you had a very busy weekend, and you had some things to take care of Monday. We're, no problem, Mike. We've known each other well, too long to ever, to ever worry about something like that. Well, this job is certainly like a box of chocolates, as Forrest Gump used to say. So, yes, and that was one of them yesterday. So I do appreciate it, though, and, and it was great to see you guys, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, thanks for everything you do. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, we had a chance to, to talk a little bit. I, I did the broadcast of the Delta Rifle game for NFHS, and uh, yeah. you came up and talked to us graciously at halftime. Uh, you drove all the way over here for that game. You were involved in uh, uh, the event uh, preparations and everything going on at the stadium. Just uh, that crowd that day, I mean, it, uh, it just reinforced why it was such a good decision to play that game at Stoker Stadium. Well, it really helped me. I'm, I'm very grateful to the communities of Rifle and Delta and Grand Junction, especially um, the crowd that showed up that day um, made that decision you know, uh, well worth it. And in, in my opinion, I think it was the right one. Uh, I know it, uh, it was, it was a difficult one as you and I discussed, and it wasn't difficult from the standpoint of, um, gosh, you have two West Slope teams playing. Why don't we play the game on the West Slope? That makes sense. Right. And as somebody that spent majority of my life over there, that totally makes sense. And I've made that drive numerous times and numerous snowstorms and uh, I've put chains on uh, at 1 a.m. coming back from a basketball trip on top of Monarch Pass. So I've been there and done that. Um, so I do get it. The issue for us was simply contractual agreements. And, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world, as you pointed out when we talked that day. You, know, you can't put state championship events together in a couple of days. And um, and then Paul Pekin goes and proves me wrong on that, by the way. But um, he did an amazing job. He and Stephanie and their whole staff, it would not have happened had we not had the perfect venue, the city of Grand Junction, um, both of the schools working with us. Um, it was a lot of work. 
um, over Thanksgiving week, I might add. So a lot of people to thank, and it turned out to be a beautiful day, and I was really proud of both teams uh, congratulating Delta first title since 1960. So uh, at the end of the day, it worked out really well um, from that standpoint. And we, we're going to continue to look. You know, I know we we used to have some contingencies in there when those kind of situations arose. But, um, you know, we, we always have to make decisions with what's best for all 365 of our high schools. And, and those contractual agreements are pretty involved and comprehensive in, over multiple years. So we'll continue to look at that situation and see how we can uh, certainly continue to, to look in that direction. But I, it, was, it was really a great day. Mike Kruger, Chassa Commissioner, with us today on the Team Sports Network. So you had to, the first uh, state playoff games at Canvas Stadium, the home of the Colorado State Rams over in Fort Collins. Yeah. Columbine yep. uh, ends the streak for Cherry Creek. And and uh, Dave Logan with the, with the four straight wins. Of course, he has 11 uh, state championships combined. But I thought it was kind of neat that uh, a connection for you, because you coached with Joe Romano, one of the guys on that four consecutive championship list, is Palisade coach Joe Romano, and you had the chance to coach with him. But uh, Dave Logan didn't get a chance to extend that past uh, four straight state titles. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely. And, and coaching with Joe Romano for those years was one of the uh, greatest privileges and honors that I had. He's just an incredible coach and, more importantly, an incredible human being. So um, those were, were great times. And, and uh, you know, but that was a great game. Columbine came out and really executed phenomenally well. And Cherry Creek is always such a, a powerhouse. You know that. And But that Friday game was really well played. And I, I'll tell you, playing it at Canvas Stadium on uh, the CSU campus was really pretty pretty incredible. I mean, we, we definitely enjoyed the years we were at Empower Field at Mile High. And the Denver Broncos have been and continue to be incredible partners and the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. And this was a decision I know you and I have talked about already. So, um, you know, it was a decision for us from from many angles. But to move up there, that stadium was awesome. The CSU staff did such a phenomenal job taking care of us. And it just turned out to be a really great day and uh, for both the 4A and 5A games. And we were really happy to be there. And great crowds again up there in Fort Collins. And, and uh, it was just another great day. And, and a great victory for Andy Lowry, longtime coach, uh, of course, at Columbine getting the victory. And then the 4A game uh, pitted uh, Palmer Ridge scoring off against Erie. And uh, Erie, who uh, defeated Montrose in the semifinals, uh, they won their first state football championship since, I believe, like 1997. And so uh, Erie completes uh, what was uh, an impressive season for the Tigers. Yeah, I thought, um, yeah, that game, I think it showed as well as Montrose played there, um, at Erie, I think it showed the parity in 4A football. There's a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of good teams there. And Erie, you know, played extremely well, I thought, especially their quarterback uh, played extremely well on Saturday against Palmer Ridge. I think Palmer Ridge, if you, you ask them, um, they, they felt like they, they had a little bit of an off day there. But, um, you know, credit to Erie and the job that they did. Uh, it was it was really well played game. And of course, Holy Family beating Lutheran at uh, CSU Pueblo to win the 3A state championship. Chas Commissioner Mike Kruger yeah. with us today. So, Mike, as we, we put a quick bow here on, on the football season, what are some things you're looking ahead and want people to know about with the 2024 football season? Uh, you know, we, uh, we continue. To, one of the things we're excited about is that we continue to see growth in the sport. And, uh, you know, during the COVID years, uh, we were seeing a decline, and we were seeing a decline nationally, and Colorado wasn't an exception there. And uh, so in full tackle contact football we were not seeing um the numbers that we were hoping to see but it has been it has been picking up over the last couple of years so we're real excited about that to keep the sport growing and then of course another thing in relative to football that we're looking forward to is we're um just ending the second year of a pilot for girls flag football 
here, and uh, that has gone in the first year we sanctioned. You have to go through a piloting process before it can become a sanctioned sport, and so we've been kind of guiding um, the Cherry Creek, Denver, and Jeffco school districts along with the Denver Broncos through this process, and uh, year one, we had 27 teams, and then this year, we jumped all the way to 72 teams. So um, we're real excited about the growth there, hoping that, uh, you know, it, it can continue to grow across the state if it if it works for communities and works for school districts. But that's something else we're real excited about and, and thinking that uh, hopefully it becomes a sanctioned sport if the membership decides to do that. Um, and we'll kick off the fall season in 24 with girls flag football as well as, as uh, tackle football. Right, Mike Kruger, Chassis Commissioner, with us today on the Team Sports Network. We're now into basketball and wrestling season. I know recently the Board of Directors recommended the shot clock uh, implementation for 2026-2027. There's been some controversy, particularly with Mike's smaller schools, where mm-hmm. these things cost money and they come out of schools' budgets. So I guess take us uh, uh, through where we are right now when it comes to the shot clock, like you said, not recommended to be implemented uh, for the 2026-2027 season. Yeah, thanks for asking that, Jim. I think this is a good example of a piece of legislation which reinforces the fact that CHAS is a membership-driven organization, right? Um, I just finished yesterday writing up that proposal on behalf of the Board of Directors and what will go forward to the schools. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's always funny, sometimes you don't have a, you don't get your own personal desires. Um, I don't know. I, people say, well, what do you think about the shot clock? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know me, Jim. I was an old Princeton offense guy that I had to do that at the time. <laughs> to compete with some of those superstar teams that Grand Junction, Prudent, Central had. So, um, But going back and thinking about it, the game has changed a little bit, and I think there are some, uh, you know, we have 27 state associations across the country that have adopted it in some capacity. And so for Colorado, we are looking at it, and it's going to go in front of the membership. I really appreciate how the board approached this. This is a you know, decision that could have been made by the board, but they looked at it, got all the data. Um, it's showing that about 60% of our schools um, are, in, are in favor, and then about 40%, almost on the nose, are, are opposed to it. But the opposition has to do with exactly what you said. It's, it's the challenges logistically and financially, uh, not just for smaller schools, I might add, but for bigger schools as well. Um, it's costly. It's about $2,500 to $5,000 to outfit a gym with um, shot clock equipment so you can run it. And then, then you have the ongoing cost of trying to find personnel and somebody to run the shot clock. And we have to have some time to train officials and get everybody ready for that. So um, I really like what the board did there in, in talking and looking at the data and what we were hearing from small schools. Yes, but also I wouldn't say it was just small schools, but the cost, you know, you can't just throw this at schools and say, hey, we got a cool thing. Now we're going to put the shot clock in and you need to find this money in your budget. And, you know, for small schools, that's not always the easiest thing. And, and I would say, again, even not for big schools always, but if you had what they were asking me for in the conversations that I was having with school personnel was, can you give us a runway to prepare for this financially? You know, just let's have some time. Let's get it implemented over a period of time. So as the board talked, they decided that, um, you know, let's see how it would look if we started it with the fall of 26 season. Gives, uh, you know, schools a, a couple years to prepare, gets us ready. Um, I do think we might have some schools that will come forward and say, hey, if we have them, can we, can we start using them? What does that look like? Those are bigger discussions that the basketball committee will have to have. Um, but I think part of that is also making sure that we have time to educate our officials on how that runs. So I think it'll be an interesting discussion, and I'm really interested to see what the membership does with it at the end of January. But if I, had, if I was a betting man, I would say that I'm, I, this, the data has shown consistently that about 60% of our schools are, are in favor. So we'll see what the membership says. 
Mike Kruger with us today on the Team Sports Network. Mike, uh, wrap it up here. we got about 60 seconds. Just uh, some quick thoughts about wrestling, the girls' side of it. Because the, the girls' yeah. uh, high school wrestling continues to grow. District 51, uh, Phoenix, they're a, a really talented wrestling team. They, uh, they have their sights set on a state championship this year. Girls' wrestling really continues to grow, particularly on this side of the hill. Uh, 100%. And that's another area where we're just looking and saying, you know, what another great opportunity for our girls to compete and have that opportunity. And that is one of the more exciting things. If you, the wrestling, state wrestling tournament's exciting anyway, but adding the girls division to that has been just amazing. And you're right, that Phoenix team is really tough. And I remember them coming in last year and having success. And I expect that they will be as successful this year and uh, some really good wrestlers. But the Grand Valley has always had strong wrestling programs that i'd say the western slope in general i think of some of those peonia teams and and you know uh junctions history grand junction high school's history with wrestling and you know there's just been a lot of good teams so it's always an amazing sport and especially that state tournament if that's something you haven't seen and you like high school wrestling make it over for that one time because that is a really cool event and it's it's really fun to see all classifications wrestling at the same time so happens in and late february but it, it's good so we're excited about fall season getting rolling Hey, Mike, thank you so much. I know you're, you're super busy. Appreciate you carving out some time for us and uh, continue the great work over at, at Chass as the commissioner, and hopefully we'll, we'll see you on our side of the hill in a few weeks. Sounds great, bud. Have a great holiday, and I'll see you over Christmas sometime. Likewise. Take care. Mike Kruger, Chass, the commissioner, with us on the program this morning. Canada, da, da, da. Oh. <laughs>